a Hindu priest uh, had just this dream to go to the Vatican. And so he had this great pilgrimage that he, he went to the Vatican and wanted to see the Sistine Chapel. And uh, he, he got there and uh, he actually had an appointment with the Pope. And he, he met with him and uh, they had a great visit. But he noticed there was a red phone. And he asked the Pope, what is that? And the Pope said, oh, well, that's my direct line to God. And would you like to use it? He goes, when I'm struggling or I want to talk to God, I just pick it up. And so the Hindu priest said, absolutely, that would be great, thank you. So he picks it up, and sure enough, God's on the line. And he's, uh, he just says, thank you, God, for things you've done for me and whatnot, and hangs up about five minutes. says, thank you very much. Um, that was just a privilege. Uh, he's about to leave, and the Pope said, I'm sorry, but um, it'll be $75 for that five minutes. And he said, wow, why so expensive? He said, well, it's a long-distance call. It's, it's quite a long way um, you know, to connect to God. That's a big connection there. So months go by, and the Pope decides that he's going to visit this new friend, this Hindu priest, and he ends up in a very modest temple, and he kind of ducks his head in and visits with him, but notices also that he has a red phone and says, you have a red phone too? He says, oh yeah, yeah, we have a red phone too, and would you like to use it? So the Pope says, I've had a rough three months. I'd love to use that phone. So sure enough, he gets on the phone and he visits with God, and five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes, an hour goes by. He puts the phone out and says, thank you so much. I needed to get a lot off my chest. And he says, how much will it cost me? He says, two rupees, which is really pennies. The Pope is shocked. He says, you're kidding me. How is it so cheap? He goes, this is a local call. <laughs> yeah, don't clap. If I were to ask you this morning about your prayer life, would it be a local call or a long-distance one? I mean, think for a moment in your prayer journey, how do you view God? Do you view God as one that's going to, maybe it'll, the, the reception will be there. It's just such a long call. He's so distant from me. And how many of you spend time kind of these throw-up prayers that you think might get to Him? I mean, I really think that's the, the thing we've been trying to hit at for this series on just praying. How do you pray? And we talked about confession, and Bobby last week talked about praise, but thanks is wrapped into that. And really the question, do you really believe that God is a God that hears your prayer and that can answer you? I think many Christians today kind of operate in this, this idea that, well, maybe. And what we have a lot of people using the label Christian. I'm a Christian, that's just my label. And yet they don't have a conversation with God. They don't talk to God. They don't pray. And this morning, one of the things that we've been talking about in this series, but I just want to reiterate, is that you can't really have a relationship with the Father unless you're speaking with Him. And how is it that we can think that we can intellectually know things about God and not speak with Him, and not come to Him, and not dialogue with Him, and not treat it as if it's a local call? Because friends, it is. It's, he's right there. And this morning, as Lloyd opened up, he is, he is in our midst. He is with us. There isn't a need for a long-distance charge in your life. And this morning, we, we wanted to, to help us kind of not just expand our idea of prayer, but really 
maybe in a, in a, a self-evaluation way, try to ask ourselves the question is, how has prayer become a vital part of your relationship with God? I don't know how you have a relationship with God apart from that. You could read about Him in your Bible. You could memorize verses. You could have great things that you know about God. But are you speaking with Him? This quote from Arthur Pink says, prayer is not so much an act. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of dependency. Full dependency on God. I mean, that you have a confidence that He hears your prayer and that He's ready to answer. If I were to ask you this morning, uh, your prayer life, if we were to say, your, what does your prayer life look like? And if, if I said, if your prayer life looks like a house, what would that house look like? Would it, would it be a shack? Would it, would it be just a, a broken down, dilapidated place that couldn't protect you from any of the elements? Is it very unsafe? If, if your prayer was to be matched in the metaphor of a bridge, would the bridge be crossable? Would it be one that could be walked on at all? Or would it be rickety and unsafe and I'm going to take another way around? You see, I think this morning, when we begin to talk about prayer, we've got to make sure that we, we remind ourselves that it is not an act or an option, but it becomes a part of who you are. See, when we use the word Christian as a noun, it's negative. It's a label. I'm Christian. A lot of people can say that today. But our faith becomes a verb. And when it's a verb, we begin to be in relationship with the Father. And that, friends, is in prayer. We've been given this gift to speak to God this way. I think this morning we operate really in many different maybe metaphors, how we perceive God. But two this morning that might help us out. One is, I think, in the business model. I think because business is such a big part of our culture and our lives today, in our world, that I think often we, we perceive God as sitting in a business office and you know, there's that big desk and that big chair and uh, you have to approach Him you know, well-dressed and ready for the interview, right? you got to come to Him with the interview and then you gotta, you got to make sure that you bring the contract and you slide it in front of Him and say, I'm offering this. What are you offering? And I think we treat God almost like this business transaction that we, we're paying for goods, buying and selling. And friends, nowhere in the Scripture does it say you even have the ability to earn anything from God. You, you have nothing to bring to the transaction. And so I think often we have people that live in a very fearful, awestruck kind of perspective of God that He is not personable and He is not connecting and He doesn't hear me and it's like a business office. And I've heard people, well, I'm not cleaned up. In other words, I'm not living the life. I can't really talk to God right now because I'm not living the life. Exactly that's why you should be talking to Him. But we treat God like a business. And we kind of try to balance the scales that way. And the Scripture and the Bible that we read really talks more often about more of a living room scene, more of a family. And we know the difference in those two, those two extremes, but the Scripture talks that He is our Father. And that when we receive that gift, not because we bring anything to the business transaction, but when we receive Jesus Christ, we immediately become sons and daughters of this living God. 
And friends, then we in our prayer lives sit in a living room with our Father. And, and we get to sit with Him. And, and to think that we don't speak with God or our prayer lives are very short, it would be like going to a family reunion just sitting on the couch and doing nothing. And maybe you've had family members that do that and that's odd and it, it's awkward. Can you imagine if your kids never spoke to you in the living room? Maybe they do that right now. I mean, it's a family and God says, I want you to talk with me and I am your father and you are my son or daughter. I think it's important that we, we establish this when we talk about prayer because prayer is much more than an act. It's a statement about your relationship with God. And I think Mark Batterson's statement I thought was very telling. That if you, if you look at your spiritual journey and it's dry, and you're finding that God's not doing things in your life, and you feel distant from God, and maybe you feel distant from people, and maybe you feel distant from the church, and all these things, look at your prayer life. Look at your prayer life. And friends, this morning, I'm not telling you to put another to-do on your list. I'm not telling you that you're not in my favor or God's favor if you're not praying. You're not in relationship with Him. When you speak to God, He says, talk to me and ask. Do you know how many times the word ask me and asking the Father is throughout the Scriptures? It's, it's just littered all the way throughout it of asking Him. He is a Father that wants to give good gifts. Ask me. Now, I think there's another way that we kind of perceive God and, or we use prayer and, and, and misunderstand how God operates. And one of the abuses of prayer, I think, is called hedging. And the word hedge actually has three different applications. One is it's a fence or a boundary formed by closely growing bushes or shrubs. In other words, there are shrubs that are grown that are create a boundary. You've seen that maybe in certain landscapes. It's, it's hedges were put up to hold things out and to keep things in. It was kind of better than fences, and so this is what they've grown, these hedges, their protection. Another use or application is a contract entered into uh, or an asset held as protection against possible financial loss. Those of you in the financial industry understand that hedging your finances means creating an insurance policy, creating some, not just everything is in one bucket, but you have other options and so you don't lose it all. You hedge your funds. A third way, though, is used maybe in not such a great way, but it's in gambling. A word or phrase used to allow for additional possibilities or to avoid commitment. In other words, if I'm going to hedge my bet, I might bet on a horse, but in order that I don't lose everything, I'm going to bet on maybe four others also. Crazy as I think we do this with prayer, I think a lot of people to do are hedging their prayers. I'll just throw up one, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be committed to that because maybe I'm not doing everything right. Maybe, maybe he's not really listening. Maybe all this stuff they talk about at community isn't fully true. I don't know, but I'm going to hedge my prayer and do some other things also. This is actually very common in the scriptures. In fact, in in, in New Testament times for the disciples, the city of Corinth, Ephesus, had multiplicity of gods 
And you would do that. You'd pray to multiple gods. You'd be hedging your prayers thinking, well, the frog god may not come through, but the fertility god might come through. Who knows? And you would be praying to multiple different gods in this temple. And God is one that He says He's a jealous God. And we're not to hedge our prayers. We're to be committed. Prayer is the confident, unhedged belief that God hears and answers your requests. And becomes, this becomes a regular conversation. Are you confident in the prayer life that you have? Are you confident as you speak to God and not hedging that prayer and saying, well, maybe He will, maybe He won't. But having the trust, and that's why I put up that statement in the beginning, that question, do you really believe? It's what Lloyd has said in the beginning. Do you really believe that God is who He says He is? So I actually believe that people don't. I wonder sometimes if we kind of hedged our bets with God, thinking, well, I'll buy into some of the God thing, but i got to probably be responsible for a whole lot of other stuff. Batterson in his book, one of the statements he also makes, which I've loved, is we need to become people that are praying knowing and being confident that God is in charge of everything. But what does he say in the second line? Yet we need to work and live our lives as if it's up to us. Meaning we don't, we're not becoming prayer slugs. You know what I mean? Where we lay around just saying, well, I'm praying for it. I'm praying for the bills to be paid. Well, how about a job? That might work. I love the, the, the illustration Mark uses where he says he's, somebody comes up to him and the, before the prayer meeting and says, I, I'm, I need a computer. Could you pray for me? And so in the prayer meeting, they go to this prayer time and Mark talks about praying and realizing, wait a second, I have a computer. Wait a second, I don't need to pray for this. And he interrupts the prayer and says, I'm sorry, I have a, I have a computer. I just need to give it to you. In other words, I, I don't... There's some extremes here. And I don't, I'm not saying this morning that our confidence looks like just apathy and we sit around waiting for God to do everything. We need to be movers. We need to be people that are moving forward in confidence. Story after story after story in the Bible are men and women saying, God, I have confidence that You will be there. That You will meet us there. That You will provide. And I'm going to move toward that answer. It's the Israelites walking to the river of Jordan and saying, it won't part before you get there. It's going to be when your feet hit it. It's going to be march around the walls. It's going to be go to this place and I will meet you there. Every case, God says, I need you to have confidence that means you're moving. You're moving. I think prayer has lost some of that confidence in our culture today. And I think we... We hedge our prayers. This morning I want to talk about what does it mean to intercede. And we've talked about what it means to confess and we've talked about what it means to praise and friends, we probably shouldn't have to talk much about what it means to thank God. Spending any time and just listing the things that you've been given and blessed in light of we have bags that are empty that are filled with rice because there are people that are starving throughout the world. I mean, there's so much for us to be thankful for. That shouldn't take much. But this morning I want to talk about what does it mean to intercede? What does it mean to, to take on the requests of others? Intercession, this word means the act of intervening or mediating between different parties 
particularly the act of praying to God on behalf of another person. Another way to say it is to throw oneself into the case of someone else. Now, now think about this for a moment. And I, I think this morning, as I said in the first service, and I say it here, I hear often, I don't feel connected. And I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think maybe we might hit the source of maybe why connection doesn't happen. And I think it centers around this idea of intercession. What is intercession? It's my ability to throw myself into the issues and cases of others. Who wants to do that? I mean, aren't we too busy? Don't you have enough stuff of your own? To be interceders means, or to be intercessors means that I'm going to take on the case. In fact, the word sometimes means take on the fight for or the battle for. Remember this picture? Tiananmen Square in the 80s. This man called the Tank Man. We don't know what happened with him. But he steps in front of the army that's going to, to oppress the people behind him. He's an intercessor. He steps into the middle of the conflict. I think it's funny at church because I think we can kind of sense this, right? We come in here and if you're going to start asking people how you can pray for them or step into their case, it's like tanks. You're going, let's not talk to that one. I, that's going to be that's going to be way too much. I don't want to waste time to do that. And some of us that are so planned and so scheduled, we got our lives and we've got all the things we're trying to get done. We don't have time for someone else's fight. Someone else's case. Scripture has all throughout it these beautiful prayers, what they're called prayers of intercession, where the body of Christ begins to say, I'm going to take on your case. I'm going to take on your case. Are you taking on anybody's case this morning? You see, if we need a model for this idea of intercession and you need a little bit more like weight, a little bit more uh, theology around the reality that you've been asked, not just asked, but commanded to pray for others, to take on the cases of others. Now we don't need an intercessor for us, and I'm going to explain right here because many of you come from a very liturgical, higher church model background. And in that background, you, you were taught that you need an intercessor. You need a priest or a pastor for you. And the Bible teaches that that is not true. That there has been one last priest that lived, that died, and rose again and becomes your permanent intercessor. Because you and I were both sin-filled, we have been born into sin because of the garden situation, and God, uh, wanting restoration in that relationship, sends His Son Jesus who bridges the gap. You've seen this before. His life, though, His death frees us from the penalty of sin. We no longer pay the price. Not a business transaction. It wasn't that we came to God and said, hey, thanks God for sending Your Son Jesus to die. I'll give you this if you give me that. It's He invites us in and says, I offer it free. Not only that, His his resurrection frees us from the power of sin. Friends, this is what's so powerful. This is why when we get together to sing, to gather, to fellowship, to talk, to greet one another, to get into groups, to do all the crazy stuff that happens around here, it's because you've been freed and you do not have to live 
and eat from the piles of sin anymore. You've been, you now have the opportunity to be free from that and live in this new kingdom. That, that is for us. And then we know that Jesus eventually will return and free us from the presence of sin. And we will no longer have that. Now, I say this because Jesus stepped into your case. Jesus stepped into your issue, into your sin, and took it on, and He intercedes for you. He is interceding from you for you constantly. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, it says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. In other words, Jesus came to, to be the, the last sacrifice, the last priest. It says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. In other words, God, we know that He sanctified the priests in the Old Testament, but they were mortal. They died. Jesus defeated death and now stands at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. It says the former priests, many in number, they were mortal, they died. Verse 25, Consequently, He is able to save the uttermost who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. The Scripture says all throughout that God is there interceding for you right now. If, if anything this morning should give you motivation, uh, reason, logic, a challenge is that Jesus is doing that for you and He says, do as I do for you. And that means begin to take on the cases of others. Now you can't free them from sin. You can't die and resurrect from them. That was all done. You are coming to plead their case to the Father. Oh Lord, will you help? And I know this, this week I, or I met with Pat. Pat Ferraro and Pat, I have your request down. And I'm, and I'm praying for him. And, and I'm stepping into his case. When Bill Magoon and I meet, there's like a bunch of cases we're stepping into. And there are cases all throughout, and whether it's people I just meet, and friends, it's not planned. It's not like I want more things to do. But you recognize as you begin to do that, God starts to change your whole perspective about who He is. It changes your perspective about you. Jesus intercedes for you by first offering Himself as a sacrifice to your sin. And this is so beautiful. Hebrews chapter 9 gives us again a little bit more. Uh, verses 12 and 24, with His own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, no longer sacrifices, He enters the most holy place for all for time and secured our redemption forever. For Christ did not enter into the holy place made with human hands, which is only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. I'm showing you this to say that He's there offering this for us and He offers Himself, but He also is continually interceding for us. And He's asking us to do this. Now Paul is going to make a lot of plea to do this to the New Testament church. And he's going to say to the church now that Jesus modeled this, I want you to do this for one another. I mean, there is countless verse after verse after verse that says, I interceded for those, or pray for others, or lift up to the requests. It says elders come together, but it also says all of us to come together and pray and pray and pray. 
if you're not experiencing a connection, might it be that you're not taking on the cases of the body of Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says what? When you're hurting, I am too. When I'm struggling, so are you. There is this, this connection, this body metaphor that means that when the muscle is sore, the whole body recognizes it. Do we recognize that? And maybe one of two things is going on. Either you're not asking or you're not telling. Why is it that it's so hard for us to be in this, in this room and we can dress up really nice and we can greet one another and smile but to say, like, do you have a problem? Or is there something I can pray for you for? Is there, is there a struggle that you're having in your life that I can step into that case with you? I mean, just this morning, a show of hands. How many of you are praying about a relationship with somebody that's, maybe it's a family member struggling, it's just, maybe it's a broken relationship, there's just there's tension yeah, look around. Could you ask them? Oh, Troy, you don't, you don't know the person that raised their hand. You have no idea. You know, the tanks, the junk, the stuff that they've got in their life. How many of you are praying over a health issue for you or someone else and it's just it's got you worried? And There's so much, whether it's finance or jobs or relationships or church. I don't know what it is, but maybe you're not asking. Intercession means that you long to know the cases that you can step into for one another. What's beautiful about prayer, no one has to be a theologian. No one has to be a rocket scientist. No one has to know the Scripture cover to cover. You are to come to the Father like a child in the living room and saying, Dad, I have something I want to tell you. Jesus will say this. He'll say, the disciples, they'll say, Lord, teach us to pray. And He'll say, don't babble. Don't use all these beautiful, goofy words thinking that's a formula to get God's attention. He says, that's what the pagans do. He's talking about the religious leaders of the time. He said, that's what the pagans do. He basically says, just come to Me. Like a child. Matthew 18 if you don't become like one of these, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he say? It's like kids coming to their dad. Dad, I got someone I want to talk to you about. Someone just share. I asked them and I, they share with me. I don't even know their name, but I know their face. And can I just put this before you? Because I am, I'm bringing their case to you. Maybe you're not asking, but here's the other one. Maybe you're not telling. Why is it with requests? Every one of us in this room probably has something we could say, I have a request. I hated growing up the unspoken. That drove me nuts. You know, do anybody have a prayer request? Everybody, unspoken. What is that? God, I have 600 unspokens to you. I have no idea what they are. What is it about us that's so afraid to say, I'm hurting right now. And then when those people do say that, whoa, they're a VDP, very draining person. Stay away from those people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't want that much. I only wanted a little. Give me, give me the, the easy requests. 
Why is it that we're so afraid to share our struggles, our sins? I think it's because in, in some ways, kind of we hedge our bets in other ways. We hedge our spirituality, our prayer life. Maybe your lack of connection at Community Church has nothing to do with websites and programs and all that. It has everything to do with you not embracing being an intercessor or embracing the intercessors around you. Maybe you're not asking and maybe you're not telling. Friends, I know you'll feel connected the moment you begin to do this. The moment you begin to to speak for the cases of others, the moment you begin to take on the cases of others, you begin to have something so beautiful happen in your life. Paul will say, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. I love in, in the book we're using as a devotional to pray together, Mark talks about these, this targeting prayer and it's like you're walking and you're going to work and you're seeing people or driving the people that are cutting you off and you begin to pray for them. Not like in bad ways, like you pray for a flat tire for them. You really pray God's, uh, pray God's blessing in their life. And you begin to see people differently when you start to pray this way because you recognize that you've been an adopted son or daughter sitting with the Father and that everybody else is a potential adoptee also. And then you begin to experience more grace and mercy. And so it's not about how bad people are and how sinful they are. And it's not about what you stand against. It's who you stand for and with. And you're saying everybody can come. Pray also for kings who are in authority. I'm of this party, left and right, up and down, whatever party you're in. Isn't it crazy how polarized we can get and we all of a sudden attach that to spirituality? God says pray for the evil leaders. He says pray for those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And what is that truth? That Jesus is not sitting behind a business desk getting you to feel bad or feeling you have to perform for Him. He's saying, I have come that you might have relationship with my Father. Intercession is us stepping into the cases of others whether they know God or not. Oswald Chambers, just to clarify, says this in a little bit different way. He says, it's not us taking on the case and viewing things from our own lens. In other words, it's not us giving our own ideas about the person's situation. He says, true intercession become, involves bringing the person or circumstance that seems to be crashing in on you before God till you are changed by His attitude toward that person or circumstance. In other words, when you start to bring cases to God, you're not necessarily pleading a case in your own perspective. God starts to change how you see it. He says, uh, until your change is added toward that person's circumstance. Intercession means to fill up with what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And this is precisely why there are so few intercessors. People describe intercession by saying, it's putting yourself in someone's place. No. 
That's not true. Intercession is putting yourself in God's place. It's having His mind and His perspective. In other words, you don't replace God this morning. You don't become the intercessor for people like Jesus is. But when you begin to take on the cases of others, you start to see people differently and their situations differently. Grace. When I'm praying for that person at the coffee shop that is distant from God, I don't have a a self-righteous attitude anymore when I begin to bring that case to God. I start to see Him differently. Like God sees Him. When that person is talking about their sin life at our church, then that sin seems so culturally horrible. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing that and how evil and dark they are. No, God starts to change how I begin to see them. It changes me. It's not so much that I begin to get in their skin and see how they feel. It's I begin to feel God starts to transform me as I intercede for others. There's a high school athlete in Ohio. This happened last year. She's in white. An interesting story about her, she, uh, she ran a, a 1600 right before this 3200 race. And in the 1600, she actually came in first, but she was going to run the 3200 recognizing she probably wouldn't do well. And sure enough, she was in last place out of 15. She's in the white. As she turns the corner, she turns the corner, she sees this girl in kind of the reddish-orange jersey, opposing team, falling and stumbling, is not going to make it to the finish line, and she sees her opportunity that she cannot be last, that she could pass her. And she could be 14th, and this girl could be 15th. Do you want to know what intercession means? She took on this girl's case. She stopped. She picked her up, and look, she walks her straight to the finish line. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's like one of those heart wrenchers. So if you're a crier, you'll be a mess. Because you're looking at that and you're going, oh my gosh, just a track meet. But it illustrates something so powerful. I think we're in a rat race and we're running in and out of church services and programs and groups. Does it fit my schedule? Does it fit this? And you know what interceding means? It means when you can pass somebody by and get your stuff done and finished. It means you stop and you bring the case and you carry that case and you make it like it's your own. Friends, if you're not connected here this morning, it's because you're not taking on the cases or you're not telling your cases. It's you're not becoming the intercessors God's called you to be. How do we do that? First, look around. You've got a lot of cases around you. We're all cases, aren't we? We're cases of a lot, and I'm sure if we started to unpack you know, our stuff and the struggle and the things we need prayer for, we'd be probably overwhelmed. And so, amen, that God takes the burdens, right? You're not to carry that, but you're to walk with them in it. Look around. You know how easy it is to go to the crosses or go in a lobby and, how you doing? No, really. How are you doing? What can I pray for? It's funny, I, I'll have some of these meetings. I've had some meetings with certain people in groups and I'll say, is there anybody that needs any prayer? And it's dead quiet. It's like, I'm not going to be the first to say I need prayer. I, mean, I want to pretend I don't need prayer, you know? Don't we all need it? 
Number two is to carry their load, to begin to pick up the load that, that, that's right in front of you. When someone says, I have a need, you carry it and you carry it to the finish. You pray it through. You pray it through. Do you realize how many memorial prayers have been prayed for this church body in 46 years? What do I mean by memorial prayers? They're not here anymore. There are men and women that prayed for the seats you sit in, for your life to be changed. They prayed through the finish. They carried the great, that load. They took the case of community church for 46 years. And there are countless people in the church body that are taking on cases after case. My friend Bill Magoon, there's his stories on the website and this picture's on there about him, but this is his prayer journal. And not to highlight or embarrass him, but what I love about this is each dot means a time prayed. And that thing's full. It probably has your names in it. Some of yours. And what struck me is when Bill told me Walking this property and Joe being here, I'm sure that they did this, but many people prayed for you. They, they interceded for you. And so the question this morning is, who are you interceding for? Jesus is interceding for you and He's asked you to intercede for everybody else. Who are you carrying the case and the load for this morning? The Father says, just ask. He says, I won't disappoint you. I'm not a father that's, if you're going to ask me for bread, give you a rock or a stone. I'm going to bless you. If I blessed you by giving you my son, I'm going to give you things that you need. Just ask. Friends, this morning, our connection is we go to communion. We should be overwhelmingly compelled to look to the left and right and ask the question, how can I pray for you this morning? And maybe you this morning are even braver and look to somebody, could you pray for me this morning? Could we step into the cases of one another as Jesus did for us? And that's why the blood and the body of Christ. Father, teach us to be intercessors for you. Teach this church, Father, what it means to, to cry out for one another, the body. And cry out for those who are not yet adopted sons and daughters, but God, You long to have them a part of Your family. Teach us what it means, Father, to be a church of prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen.